If you have your Bibles with you, or some form of Bible on a tablet or phone, or whatever it is that you have, uh, if you would, turn in your, in your version of it to 2 Corinthians and the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians and the 5th fifth, fifth chapter where we're going to be today. I just got to say uh, real fast, um, we, were, we were at the fall retreat this weekend, uh, myself and a few of our college students, that's why you're not seeing some of them here. Um, actually, I dropped Josh off the, the church before this. And like an, an hour and a half, two hours ago, and, and he said, yeah, I'm going to go home and take a nap, then I'll be at church. I said, all right, I'll see you later this week. <laughs> I was pretty sure he was completely locked out when I'm going to be here. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention from this weekend that I thought was just super helpful and encouraging for me was the speaker, he talked about, this wasn't even his main point, but he talked about the, the, the life of a Christian and the joy that we have in Christ and how too many people walk around as Christians today with just gloomy looks on their face, they just seem miserable, and they're like, oh yeah, you should be a Christian, I am, and it's awesome, you know, and, and they just show no joy at all, and just to the outside world, I wouldn't blame them at all for not wanting to uh, know any more about what it is to, to be a Christian, uh, but I, I just have to say I was so encouraged today as I came in, and, and as other people were coming in, and, and to be cre- greeted by some of our church members with just such uh, joy and enthusiasm, and um, and especially Lincoln. Lincoln's always the most joyful to see me, and I always love that. Uh, but but it's such an encouragement to me as I've had you know a long week, as Matt said, and I came in kind of tired anyway. And, uh, and to have individuals come and just greet me with joy and, and excitement to be here, and and that gets me excited, and that gets me ready to uh, to teach the word, to to hear the word of God taught, and um, just to worship this awesome God that we serve and what He's done for us. Uh, so, with that in mind, um, thank you to all of you who, who greeted me in that way, and I would encourage everyone uh, to keep that in mind as we go about our week, because that isn't just for here. That's, that's something that we should take with us throughout the, throughout the week, throughout our lives. Um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, it is up on the screen for you conveniently. 2 Corinthians chapter, seven, er, chapter 5, verse 17. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray over the reading of God's word. Holy, awesome Father, Lord, we come to you today humbled by your word, humbled by what it is that we see in your word in 2 Corinthians that you've done for us. And Lord, we ask today, as we celebrate this, as we worship you in light of this truth, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. And that, Lord, we would have an understanding of what it means that we have been commissioned by you. Lord, I pray for myself. uh, as, As I speak, may the words that I say be edifying. May they be true. And Lord, anything that I say that isn't either of those things, Lord, may you wipe those from our memory. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
So the theme of our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, is reconciliation. And I know that may seem kind of weird since, as you can see by the sign, our theme is commission. Uh, but as you look through our text, the word reconciliation comes up over and over and over again in some shape, form, or fashion. And there is a reason for that. There's a reason I chose this text that's actually about reconciliation. And hopefully by the time we get to the end, uh, you'll understand. But I want us to think about the word reconciliation, what it means. When we think about the word reconciliation, oftentimes we'll think about two people, two human beings that have maybe had some sort of strife, some sort of disagreement, some sort of argument. And they are the, the reconciliation is when that relationship that's been, that's been kind of messed up or unhinged, uh, by the strife, by an argument, by a fight, whatever it is, uh, is, is reconciled, it's, it's repaired. The relationship that was once broken has now been repaired as these two people come to each other, forgive each other, uh, and continue on. In human context, it's always two-sided. Both people have to admit that they've done wrong. Both people have to ask for forgiveness. Both people have to do their part in reconciliation. That's why we say they reconcile their differences. Because it's, it's two-sided. Both parties come together, they reconcile with each other on behalf of their own issues, whatever it is they've done wrong, and that is reconciliation here on an earthly level. The reconciliation that Paul is talking about in our text here is the same in the sense that there's reconciliation of a broken relationship. There's a relationship between us and between God the Father that ever since the beginning of time has been broken, it's been wrecked by sin, it's been messed up and therefore needs to be reconciled. The difference from the way Paul talks about reconciliation and the way we understand it between human beings here on earth is that unlike here on earth, reconciliation with God is completely one-sided. We human beings can do nothing. We're the ones that have messed it up. That is our contribution to the reconciliation process is that we've made it necessary. We've messed it up, we've wrecked the relationship, and it is entirely a work of God to reconcile us. That's why things don't look the way they did as the way they do now as they did in the Garden of Eden. It's because we wrecked it up, wrecked it because of sin. All mankind has a broken relationship with their Creator. From the beginning of time, from the moment they're born, but we do not reconcile ourselves to God. We do not reconcile our differences with God the way we do with other human beings. But God reconciles us to himself. We're reconciled to God by God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we see here in our text. The reconciliation process is a work of God and him alone, which brings us to point number one. <coughs> we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Look at how it's phrased here in our text in, in verse 18 and 19. He says this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to the language that he talks about reconciliation, the reconciliation between God and us. This is God saying this via, via Paul and the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if we talked about reconciliation this way? The way God talks about him reconciling us to himself? Like, imagine if I was talking to my wife and we had some sort of difference, and I said, you know what, Kaylee? I've reconciled you to myself. 
I have decided not to hold your iniquities against you, your trespasses against you. Therefore, I have reconciled you to myself. Probably what would happen is I'd get slapped and she'd say, yeah, add that to the list of iniquities that you're not going to count against me. Probably what would happen. Because it's, it would be arrogant of us to ever assume that in reconciliation here on earth, that we do not have a part in the reconciliation. That we do not have some wrong that we have done. That we do not have some area in which we need to apologize, confess our sin to the other person, and to ask for forgiveness and to seek reconciliation with that person. But this is not the way it is with God. Verse 18 at the very beginning says it all. It, all this is from God. All this referring to the previous verses. All this referring to where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All this and everything before is from God. And it's not something that we do. It's not something that we have a part in. Reconciliation is a work of God alone through Christ alone. The text says that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, not through Christ in our efforts. This reconciliation is complete. We don't finish it. We don't add to it. We don't help make it happen. Reconciliation is reconciliation. That may sound redundant, but what I'm saying is, if there has been a reconciliation, if you are reconciled, then it's been done. You have been reconciled. You don't do something to finish the process of reconciliation. If someone were to say to you, yeah, there was a major rift between me and my husband, uh, but we've been reconciled now. But then you realize for the next week they haven't been talking to each other at all. Your assumption is going to be that they haven't really been reconciled with each other. That the reconciliation hasn't actually happened. That it's not complete. And you would be right in assuming that. Reconciliation means a completely restored relationship. And that is entirely a work of God. Romans chapter 5 helps us understand this process of reconciliation and it being a work of God and Him alone. In chapter 5 of Romans 6 and following, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What a beautiful message of reconciliation this is. That we were alienated from God. We were enemies of God. It's not that we were just indifferent to God. We were his enemies. We were in opposition to our creator. The reason we confess our sin every Sunday, as Sean leads us in confession, is because we are guilty of shaking our fist at God and rebelling against him. This is what we've done. What a beautiful message of reconciliation this is that we see in Romans 5. Before we move on uh, from our passage back here in 2 Corinthians, I do want to take some time uh, before we move past this in our text to talk about uh, verse 19. Because I think there's something that, that we need to clear up, that we need to make, uh, make clear on this issue before we move on. And that is the phrase in verse 19 where he says, God was reconciling the world to himself. 
There are some who want to read Paul's words here in verse 19 and think that he is teaching some sort of universalism, that the Lord has reconciled the world, as in everybody in the world, to himself. Therefore, the entire world will be saved. And this is simply not true. Luke 13, 1-3 makes it clear. He says, there, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what does Paul mean here when he says the world? That God was reconciling the world to himself. He clearly doesn't mean that all people have been reconciled, that everyone in the world has been reconciled. The words all or world or everyone used when describing salvation are to be understood referring to mankind in general. Or as one commentator put it, which I think is hopeful, Christ did not die for all men without exception, but for all men without distinction. In other words, every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented in the kingdom of God. But not everyone from every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented. If the entire world has been reconciled to God, then no one would go to hell. Everyone would have eternal life. Because as we just read in Romans 5.10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If you have been reconciled, you will be saved through Christ. So we need to make it clear. We need to understand. People want to take this verse and, and use it in this way. Say, well, God has reconciled everyone to himself. God died for the sins of everyone. Therefore, what does it matter what they believe? Isn't it just a mountain and all the different religions are different roads heading up the mountain to God? That is false. That is a lie straight from hell. It is not true. Those who are reconciled shall be saved. So clearly not everyone in the world has been reconciled to God. So we can move on now that we've cleared that up. Point number two. Along with the word reconciliation constantly popping up in this text, the other theme that we see throughout the entirety of this text is that Christ is the center. In every single verse we see, we see Paul mentioning it in a different way. In verse 17 he says, If anyone is in Christ... In verse 18, through Christ, he reconciled us. In verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Verse 20, ambassadors for Christ, on behalf of Christ. In verse 21, in him, that being Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. A constant theme throughout Paul's text here and throughout all of Paul's writing is Christ as the center. Paul wants his readers to understand that apart from Christ, reconciliation is impossible. We cannot be reconciled to God apart from Christ. That he is the reason God was able to reconcile us to himself. Because of his death on the cross as an atonement for our sins. There's important significance to the way that we here at Redeemer, Redeemer Fellowship have ordered our values. If you, I don't, They're not really ordered right now, but... Uh, if you go on our website, you'll see that they're ordered Christ, character, community, and commission. And they're ordered that way specifically. They're ordered that way because Christ is the beginning of all we do. And apart from him, none of this means anything. 
Apart from him, we could do nothing. A relationship with Christ leads to godly character, which drives us to community with other believers, which naturally flows into our commission to go and make disciples. But it all starts with Christ. Apart from Christ, we are left hopelessly abandoned, destined to face the full wrath of God. Once man sinned against a perfectly holy, righteous, eternal God, we deserve to face an equally eternal and righteous judgment for our sin that is in the form of hell. That is what we deserve, every single one of us. But instead, Christ willingly went to the cross to die in our place. And the full hammer of God's wrath fell on him instead of us. The punishment that would have taken me an eternity in hell to face, the perfectly righteous Son of God bore it on the cross, and not just for my sin, for all who would believe. What a beautiful reality this is. That this is the truth. He has taken the full wrath of God that should have been poured out on me, that should have been poured out on you, and he took it willingly. This is why we sing, sing the songs that we sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Jesus paid it all. And one of my favorite songs that we sing here at church, All I Have is Christ. One of the verses goes like this, says this, And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. That's why we sing these songs. Because he is the end all, the be all of everything that we do. The moment that Christ is forsaken is the moment that the gospel is forfeited. And he is the one that we represent. Which brings us to point number three. We are ambassadors for Christ. Up to this point you may be thinking, well this is a weird message about commission. I mean, all he's doing is really just kind of preaching the gospel and talking about what it is that God has done for us through Christ. And you're exactly right. And the reason I'm doing that is because until that reality sinks in and begins to just envelop us and, and take over who we are and all that we do, we will never have the passion to go and make disciples among the nations. It will never happen until we begin to understand this reality of what it is that God has done for us. We can never be entrusted with the message of reconciliation, as Paul says, until we fully understand the message of reconciliation. By fully, I don't mean that we can understand the mind of God. But when we begin to meditate on this, realize the truth of what it is that has happened. I think a lot of us think that we're pretty good people. I think a lot of us think that before Christ, we kind of had it all together. But you know what? I'll tack Christ on as well. I might make my life better. I don't know. But if you think that adding Christ to your life, that the gospel is just to make you a better person, just to kind of increase your, your standing in the world and, or whatever, you're totally, you're, you've missed it. The purpose of the gospel is because you are completely and utterly without hope apart from Christ, apart from this reconciliation. We as believers have such an important role in the kingdom of God. We have the role of ambassador. 
The role of ambassador, as, as Paul is describing here in his day, is actually very similar to the role we have today. The role of an ambassador here, is, as Paul is writing to them, um, imagine the, the Roman Empire. We all know that the Roman Empire was a, a massive, huge, dominant force in the world at this time. And when a nation would be, would be either conquered or maybe joined the, the Roman Empire another way, the ambassador was the one that was sent to make that transfer happen and make it smooth and make it good. The, the ambassador is the one that would go and help develop laws. The, the ambassador is the one that would go and would, would represent Rome to this nation. The ambassador is the one that would help bring this nation into the family of the Roman Empire. And it was a proud privilege and responsibility to be an ambassador. It was a role of honor. And this is a proud privilege and responsibility for the Christian today. To effectively represent the kingdom of God to the world around us. And specifically to bring them the gospel of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. I want us to think hard about the fact that, that this is an honored role that's been given to us by God and therefore should be taken very seriously because God takes very seriously the roles that he gives to individuals. If you, if you have your Bibles and want to turn with me, turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33. We see here the importance of, of the roles that God gives to his followers, that the Lord gives to those is put in position. There are many examples we could look at to demonstrate the, the seriousness of, of these roles. But I want us to look at, at Ezekiel as the Lord speaks to him in Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people. And if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, when the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning, his blood shall be, shall be upon himself, because if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. It's very important for us to, to notice the way in which Jesus or, uh, God the Father talks to Ezekiel here in this passage as he gives him the role of watchman over Israel. It's a very important position and very similar to the position that we as the church have today as ambassadors for Christ. The role of a watchman was of vital importance. It was a role that was to be taken very seriously because it was a role that had huge ramifications for the kingdom of Israel. And we could try and go into detail on what it is that the Lord's saying when he says, their blood I will require your hand. But I'm not going to go into that. But it's suffice it to say that when we fail in our duty 
that the Lord has given us, when we fail to uphold the role that the Lord has put us in, we have sinned. When we fail to represent Christ to the world effectively, when we fail to preach this message of reconciliation to the world, we have sinned. This is the role that God has given us. The role of ambassador is not a role to be taken lightly. The role of Christ's ambassador is to present the message of reconciliation and to plead with people to repent of their sins and be reconciled to God. We see this in verse 20 where Paul pleads with his readers at Corinth. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What we see here in this passage, in this text, is that we see displayed the reality of what John MacArthur would call twin truths. Let me explain what I mean when I say twin truths. I'm not at all shy about the fact that I firmly believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation. I believe that God is sovereign over all things, including and especially the salvation of his people. And there are many people who would try and argue that a strong belief in the sovereignty of God and salvation will cause one to have a low view of evangelism. Here's how the argument goes. Well, if God sovereignly chooses those who will be saved, if God elects people to be saved, then they will be saved whether I tell them or not. And so we don't have to evangelize because we know they're going to be saved because God has elected them. That's how the argument goes. That's what people will say if, you, if they hold too tightly to, to the, the theology of God's sovereignty and salvation. And many of us have probably considered this question. I know I have. I know this is a question that like, haunted me for a while. And we could go and look in detail into the issue. But really, all we need to do is look no farther than our text here in 2 Corinthians. Our text clearly tells us that God is the one who does all the work of reconciliation. But then Paul goes on to plead with his, re to, with his readers to be reconciled to God. Well, if God is reconciling us to himself and he's sovereign in this thing, then why is it that Paul is pleading? Because both are true. That God has sovereignly chosen his church to use as ambassadors to preach the gospel of unbelievers so that they, to unbelievers so that they might be saved. End of discussion. In other words, two things are true. That God is sovereign in salvation. But what is also true is that man has a responsibility to be reconciled to God, to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Amen. And some people will, will expect the, the pastor, the preacher, the theologian to reconcile these two and will say, well, explain to me how both can be true. Because in our minds, they can't both be true. But the reality is, I don't have to explain anything. Because I don't understand it. But I understand that the Bible says that both are true. This is the role that we've been given. This is our responsibility. This is our privilege. To bring the message of reconciliation to the world around us. To represent the kingdom of God, our true home, to everyone we encounter. This is why I've spent so much of our time today talking about reconciliation. This is why I've spent so much of our time today talking about the gospel, because we so desperately need to be reminded of the gravity of what it is that has been done in our lives through Christ. Because when we truly understand the weight of this truth and just how crazy awesome it is, then we will begin to see our role in evangelism as a privilege and a joy rather than an obligation and a drudgery as we so often do. 
So often we view our role as ambassador as something that we have to do with, oh my gosh, I've got, got to make sure I tell somebody about Jesus. I haven't told anybody about him in, in like a week and I haven't been very good at it. Man, it's just so annoying to have to make sure and do this. And, and pastors are constantly telling you, this is your duty, this is your duty, this is your duty. And, and we hear it and we go, oh my gosh, all right, man, just one more thing I've got to do. But what kind of ambassador comes to a country and says, well, I guess I've got to represent my country here. Man, what an annoying thing I'm doing. <laughs> if that's an ambassador, they're probably going to lose their job. They're going to put someone there who enjoys representing their country, their nation to the world. And we should too. When we understand this reality of what it is that God has done to us, done for us through reconciliation, then we'll begin to view our role as ambassador with the honor that it deserves. We'll begin to see it as a joy and a privilege to represent the kingdom of God to the world. This is a right view of evangelism. We have been commissioned not as workers in a factory who do their daily tasks begrudgingly simply because it's what they get paid to do and it's what they have to do, usually hating every minute of it. For those of you who work in factories, yeah, I'm talking about you. We have been commissioned as ambassadors representing Christ himself to the world. What an honor that is. What an honor it is that has been given to us by God, spelled out for us here in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Verse 21 just caps it all off for me. It just, it just sinks it home even more. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the message of reconciliation. This is the good news that we have to proclaim to the world. How dare we think of this in a way of begrudging, I have to do this duty that I don't want to do. And I'm as guilty as, this, as anyone in here. I've done this. This has been me. Which is why I wonder, is, is our, our message that we as pastors, as preachers, as teachers of the word, is it, are we doing something wrong? Maybe we need to focus less on teaching about evangelism and focus more on teaching about reconciliation, the beauty of that. So that's what I would encourage you with today. As we think about the scriptures, if you think about what it is that God has done for us, as we sing praises to Christ for what it is that he's done for us, we're not thinking about, oh man, I guess I have to tell people about this. No, our thought ought to be, this is amazing and everyone needs to hear about this. That is my prayer for our heart, for our lives, that the Holy Spirit would move in that way in this church. That we would be a church that loves to tell those around us about what it is that God has done in our lives and what it is that he can do in their lives and plead with them on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I didn't include the text in my, in my opening, but I mean, I have to go ahead into, into chapter 6 where he says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. May this sink into our hearts, may this sink into our lives, may the Holy Spirit work in us to cause us to just over, be overwhelmed with the joy of what it is that God has done for us. So the world might see it constantly because it's constantly coming out. I would just want to, as we finish today, as I close this out, 
I want to let you know about a few opportunities that we have as we think about being commissioned, as we think about taking forward the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. We have opportunities for, for us to do this in our neighborhood here uh, at Redeemer Fellowship Church. There are dates coming up. We're going to go out into our neighborhoods and, and literally we're going to try and make opportunities to tell them about the reconciliation ministry found in, in Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you at all are, the Lord is laying this on your heart, please come and talk to me, and I will set you up with dates when we're going to go out. We don't do this by ourselves, uh, because I know it's awkward, and a lot of people are kind of terrified to do it. I understand. I get it. And that's why we don't go out alone. We go together. We do this as a church, as a community, as Sean spoke on last week. But I would encourage you, come and talk to me about this, because this is our role. This is our job. This is our honor and our privilege. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for what it is that you have done, the lengths that you have gone to to reconcile us to yourself, to yourself, Lord. God, it is so hard for us so often to let this sink in to the point where, where fear of man has been overwhelmed. Lord, it's hard. I know it is. We struggle. We spend so much time here in these pews, in our churches, opening your word, trying to know it more, trying to be better at it. And Lord, sometimes failing to go out and proclaim it to the world. So Lord, we ask today that you would renew our commission as ambassadors, that you would renew our joy in the message of reconciliation, that you would cause us to just not be able to keep our mouths closed about this. It is too good keep to ourselves. So Lord, work in our hearts, work in our lives. Lord, as we conclude this service today, we offer it to you. May you be pleased. And Lord, we thank you and praise you again for what it is that you have done in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.